we got a huge RFA signing out of Dallas, a pending unrestricted free agent that we all thought was probably on the move. Instead, he's staying put. Uh, Buffalo re-signing a huge part of their youth movement. Vegas actually trading for a goalie, so much for our theory, thinking they wouldn't. And uh, we've got one heck of a main course for you today. We'll explain further in episode 332 of the Lace Up Podcast, which starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. Uh, We're going to open the show with a big signing out of Vancouver. JT Miller, not on the move, staying put long-term with the Canucks. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it, like, you know, come to think of it, like, I, I did kind of think he would be traded, but, like, the more... I guess, like, once it happened, I was like, oh, okay, he's, that makes sense that he stays with Vancouver. Um, So, yeah, JT Miller signs with Vancouver. Um, It's a $7 million deal, um, eight, uh, sorry, seven years, eight million. Uh, So it's not, I always get, I got tripped up by that, like, I think multiple times. So I I think when I was texting you, I, I, like, I almost said, like, wait, I have to make sure this is correct, because, like, they, the... Canucks Twitter even like sent it out as like 56 million for seven years so I I had to do like I had to even get my calculator out and just do the math and I still got it wrong when I said it officially here but um it should also be noted by the way just before you continue Brett this won't kick in until the start of next season obviously he's got one year left on his current deal by the time this deal starts, he'll be 30 years old, which means when he ends, he'll be 37. Yeah, which will be the 2029-2030 season. So it's like... Yeah, 37, 38 years old, yeah. I should say, yeah. Which which feels like it's a long time ago, and I guess it is, technically speaking, <laughs> yeah. but I don't know. I feel like there, there comes, like, the more I grow older, the more I feel like just time goes by really fast. Anyways. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> We're getting... Before we get even deeper in, in thought on there, um, yeah, yeah, this um, this is a this was a, a cool deal, or I think this is a valuable type deal, or this it isn't like too much, it isn't too little. I guess it's more surprising because there were like rumors that can, the Canucks were going to trade him. Of course, they have uh, Peter Peterson and uh, Bo Horvat, and those are guys that you don't really want to trade. So it's like, why are you keeping JT Miller? Um, however, you do notice that uh, Bo Horvat, he's a UFA next year, so maybe they don't keep Bo Horvat, which is a little bit odd considering he is the captain. Um, and then, um, so, so that there is that lens to that possibility. Um, but yeah, it's, um, and I guess they, let me see if Cap Friendly has their cap space next year um i guess it's, it's really tough to really tell i guess they have 14 million in cap space next year um but and they have a lot of free agents um horvat kuzmenko who's that khl guy that they signed this year uh dowling let's see here dermot luke shan burrows okay so actually they, they might not be in bad shape never mind but um 
But uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's definitely interesting from that perspective. JT Miller had um, had a pretty nice season this this past year, ninety nine points in eighty games. Uh, of course, as Steve was alluding to, he's twenty eight years old. Uh, by the end of this next contract, he's going to be thirty. Um, so, um, or when this contract kicks in, it's, he's going to be thirty. But um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, obviously these players tend to uh, degrade once uh, once they hit that 30-year mark, but I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's going to be too bad. I guess it's just a little bit strange. Just It's like, I guess maybe Bo Horvat is the guy who's going to be gone, um, and and yeah, we'll, we'll see. So we'll take a look at the offensive numbers and the value that he brings before we take a look at the bigger picture because this does, on a grand scale of things, affect the league as well as Vancouver. And I'm not going to go on those one of those, well, how does this impact the Maple Leafs? Like, I'm sure everyone seems to do with every single yeah. transaction. But um, the past three seasons for JT Miller, prior to the past three seasons, this was a guy that averaged – 50 to 60 points, and you know what? He's good like that. You consider him a reliable top six forward, a feisty top six forward, a guy that wants to win, and a guy that won't really take gut from anyone. As I've said countless times already, when the Canucks schedule was essentially effed by COVID, he was the first guy to step up and say, no, this isn't right. Please don't do this, NHL. We we need to stretch things out a little yeah. bit. You're, you're going to kill us. So this is a passionate dude that cares a lot about his team and he cares a lot about what he does and he wants to win. And put up points he did in the lockout shortened, well, not lockout shortened, the COVID lockout shortened 2019-20 season with 27 goals, 45 assists, 72 points in 69 games, by far and away his best year in the league, 16.4 shooting percentage on top of that, nine goals, 25 assists on the power play, and he went from 1440 per season with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and that's largely because they had a lot of freaking good forwards, but he jumps from that to 2006 in one season. So that, that kind of just goes to show you how much he broke out and part of that was the power play time on ice that he got yeah. he averaged 235 in his final season with tampa bay he averaged 352 per game on the power play in his first season with vancouver on top of that he also won 59 percent of his draws and that's the other thing about jt miller yes he plays left wing but he also plays center yeah so you get a bit of offensive versatility with jt miller as well that's important to keep in mind yeah 2020 21 oh, season sorry. doesn't go vancouver's way but he gets 46 points in 53 games. Their most consistent score, only 15 goals, but 31 assists. That's mostly what you pay him to do. Uh, respectable shooting percentage, even though it goes down, 18 power play points, and he averages nearly 21 minutes per game, over three minutes again on the power play. This past year, 21.04 per game. That's a career high for him. Only 319 per game on the power play, so a bit down from his uh, career high in his first season with Vancouver. Uh, but he wins over 50% of his draws once again, 54% this time. He adds 99 points in eight games, as Brett mentioned. If he plays the full 82, that's 101 points. 206 shots on goal. First time he's hit 200 shots in a season. 15.5 shooting percentage. And 
get this, Brett. 38 power play points. Incredible stuff from a guy that's basically on pace for Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl levels of power play scoring. Here's the other thing that I noticed about JT Miller. Um, he can hit yeah. a lot. If you look at his uh, fourth NHL season of duty, 174 hits. Uh, then he gets over, just over 100 the next year. Then 122. Then 115. Then 123. And this year, on top of those 38 power play points, he managed to hit 172 guys along the way. So he's this kind of rare, physical, offensively gifted forward at 6'1", 218. And I feel like he's one of those players that if he wanted to commit to the Canucks long-term, which obviously he did, he signed the deal, um, it would be great for Vancouver to have. Yep. Now, uh, before we go into the broader picture, Brett, you had a question or, or a or, Sorry to interrupt. What yeah, was well, mostly because you were mentioning that he can play left wing. However, yes. I was I was going to point out I didn't I I mean you may, you may point out eventually anyways while you do this thing yeah. but I was looking at the Canucks death chart because I wanted to see like because I knew that Pedersen was a center Horvat was a center and J T Miller is also a center so I was just curious how they were managing that and maybe it's on me maybe I should have realized this but um, uh, Elias Pedersen's now a left winger. Um, and all these depth charts I've been looking at, so it, it seems like uh, that may be like a Bruce Boudreau type thing where he moves Peter P Peterson to the left wing. Um, and uh, currently on Cap Friendly, they have him uh, uh, Pedersen with Horvat um, and Brock Besser. But I mean, I could see that being a top line where they they move Pedersen and Besser with Miller. Um, and Garland and Pearson are the other uh, forwards uh, or wingers on the other side. Uh, so I, um, so I, I, I guess I just wanted to clarify that when I was saying <laughs> that they have all three centers, I'm not sure what they're going to do, which I guess they figured it out that Pedersen's now a, a winger. So uh, breaking news. <laughs> and you know what? That might be the best thing for him because... Yeah. He started off very cold yep. for his standards. Yep. And then the second half, he rocketed back up the chart and was near the top of the leaderboard and Canucks scoring. Obviously, yeah. too late to pat, surpass JT Miller because JT Miller had 99. Yeah. Points. And I had, I had assumed. Yeah. I had assumed that that was because of like the Bruce Boudreaux effect, which I guess in a way that is true because maybe, you know, Boudreaux made that switch. But yeah, I guess maybe it's just the fact that he is now a left, a winger. Um, that could have also helped him where he, he doesn't have to rely on face-offs and, and that pressure. So so maybe that is better for him in the long run as well. Anyways, uh, sorry to uh, cut you off and yeah. you can continue going. I, I, I guess... No, that's all good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the, the other thing is, um, for anyone thinking, well, maybe JT Miller got Elias Peterson's game back up and running in the second half, well... His common line mates, by the looks of it, were Brock Besser and Taylor Pearson, oh. JT Miller's ones. Yeah. So um, that theory is not really uh, showing much of, uh, not not having a strong enough base to really stake right. a claim on that. But it should be noted that when the Canucks were struggling out of the gate, JT Miller still had 19 points in 22 games. That's near a point of game pace. 
Uh, and in the second half, his final 40 games, he had a combined total of 59 points, 20 of them goals. Uh, so definitely in the second half, he was good. But even when the Canucks were struggling early on, JT Miller was arguably their best offensive player. So to have that signed long-term is huge. This is where I feel the Canucks maybe missed out on a potential massive return. It's because you look at the potential contract expiring left wingers and games that sticks out to me is Tyler Bertuzzi. And that is basically the number one piece. If you're looking for a left winger to improve your roster, that's probably where you're going to get it now and not JT Miller, a guy that can also play center, which makes him an even bigger commodity. $5.25 million team he's going to if he were traded of course that would give them some cap flexibility for just this year and, and then you go from there and given the fact that the Canucks are near the cap at the moment they could have used that haul for JT Miller that futures haul maybe they get a solid prospect maybe they get a first round pick maybe they get both in a jt miller trade but we'll never know the answer to that because he's inked long term he has a no move clause the first four years should be noted in three of those first four years he's making nine million per season so a bit higher from his eight million dollar cap hit uh and then once you get to the start of the fifth year and then ending on the seventh year it's a 15 team uh, trade list, I believe, for JT Miller. So around half the league he could still go to. So it's not like one of those three-team trade lists that the Sharks conjured up that uh, JT Miller has. He doesn't have so much power once you get to year five. But for the first four years, if things go south and he wants out, that could pose as a problem. Now, getting back to the salary cap space, Brett, and you do make a very big point, Cole Horvat is nearing the end of his contract as well. At the end of this year, he's the Canucks captain. Um, and while I do think it's important to have a feisty character like JT Miller, I think a calm presence is needed, and Bo Horvat certainly brings that. He only costs $5.5 million, but again, uh, he plays center, and he's a natural center as well. So um, I guess it depends on it, it depends on what the Canucks are willing to lose, essentially, with that. The other thing if the Canucks were to keep Bo Horvat, it is almost a guarantee that Connor Garland is probably out the door because it was him and JT Miller that was part of the trade speculation as to, okay, if the Canucks trade some guys for futures, it's either going to be JT Miller or it's Connor Garland or maybe it's both. And now that you have JT Miller extended, I think Garland is obviously the odd man out. He's a guy that has term, but his cap hit is not that big in comparison to JT Miller's uh, pending cap hit as well. Um, so all things considered, if you're looking at a winger, which Garland is, that can play both sides of the wing, left wing, right wing, 4.95 million per year for the next four years is not a bad cap hit to swallow, especially considering Garland is a couple of years younger than JT Miller, he's only 26 years old. And I definitely think when utilized in a in the proper top six role, he can be a solid, solid addition. 
especially when you've signed Ilya Mikheyev to a four-year deal at basically 200k less than the cap that you're giving Connor Garland. Um, it, it, it spells the beginning of the end, I think, for Connor obviously in Vancouver, and that's unfortunate because he only got really one season to prove himself, and it was uh, he, he had just about a last year ended he still got 52 points in 77 games and I think if slotted properly he could be a 30 goals someday um, but yeah um, the, the Canucks have also got to keep in mind beyond um, the JT Miller extension how you're going to handle the Brock Besser stuff and the Elias Peterson stuff and the Quinn Hughes stuff and Thatcher Demko yeah. Because eventually it's going to be time to pay some of those guys their big contracts. And in the case of Peterson, $7.35 million for the next two years. You have Besser at $6.65 million for the next three. Then he can walk and sign wherever he wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quinn Hughes is a bit easier to digest because he's got a five-year extension at near $8 million. But there's a lot of money committed to that back end. You're still relying a lot on Thatcher Demko. Uh, the questions remain as to how good this Canucks team can be as currently constructed. So I kind of I disagree with you slightly on this. Um, so I I mean I, I don't think uh, so. First off, you had mentioned that you thought that they were gonna like they should just trade J T Miller because as you were mentioning, like they have a lot of uh, cap space to deal with and or like you know just future situations that are gonna be an issue for them in the long term which I guess I can kind of see but um but for now it's like it's pretty clear that like uh so Besser's 25 years old Pedersen is Peterson is 23 Bo Horvath's 27 uh, that's not terrible like, like I mean that's not old but it's not young either um Garland's 26 um and then you have Quinn Hughes who's 22 uh Demko at 26 so like that's that's a pretty good core uh, to have. And if the Canucks can't, like, the Canucks had a pretty good second half when Bruce Boudreau took over as the coach. And if they can continue to have that, like, what Bruce Boudreau was able to do that for a full season, then, yeah, this team is going to be pretty good this year. Um, they will probably be, like, they're a sneaky, like, playoff contending team. Um, so... I, I don't know if, like, yeah, maybe this this JT Miller contract won't age well towards the later half of this contract, but at this moment, like, JT Miller is going to be one of your better players um, right now. Um, and, you know, and it's it's not like their, their cap situation is so terrible. Like, yeah, they all have to deal with Peters, uh, Peterson's contract in two years. They'll have to figure out what to do with Bo Horvat this year. But from like, uh, just from like, uh, like a standard, it's like, or just from a weird perspective, um, they really like they have a solid like five players in their top six, um, and then they have a good player in Quinn Hughes who should be good for a long term. Uh, you never know with Oliver Ekman Larson, but we know what he's capable of doing. Thatcher Demko is is a good young goalie. Um, 
and so it's like okay they're 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 in a they're in a good position this year and who knows what's going to happen with Kuzmenko or Pod Colson could take another step. Um, I know Tanner Pearson's in like the top line now or one of the top six players, but I don't know if I buy that necessarily. Um, and even if he doesn't work, he's like his contract's up in in two uh, in two years anyway, so you can just get rid of him. Um, as for Garland, I. Um, I don't, I don't think his days are numbered purely just because he has four more years left um, at 4.95. So it's like, even if they do trade him, um, it's like a pretty cheap contract. Uh, so I, I don't think Connor Garland's going anywhere. Um, I'm not really sure why you even think that because it's not like he has a short-term contract anyways. Well, it's just for cap reasons. Like there are two million. Uh, yeah, but over he's the not cap at the moment. But he's not being like paid. Like it would be one thing if he was being paid like a ton of money. But it's it's four point nine five. That's not that bad for someone like Connor Garland. Yeah, I, I suppose. Uh, and I mean, I guess you could always trade away Tyler Myers uh, right. to clear up some cap space to further improve yeah. the roster, I suppose. But even my, my argument is is just that if you wanted to get um, an extra boost to that prospect pool, you're going to get the closest thing to full value as you could, even for a rental JT Miller, than you would get by trading away like Tyler Myers or Oliver Ekman Larson, because right. their play has been underwhelming as of late, and their cap hits yeah. are pretty huge. Well, OEL has a no movement clause, um, and, um, and but like even Tyler Myers, yeah, I would agree that he would be the one to trade. But um, he has two years left with six million. Um, yeah, that's not definitely not what he's worth. But I don't know. I guess like I feel like that's kind of hard hard to trade, obviously. So I don't know if you're necessary. I, I I guess I see your point, but. I don't know if they necessarily need to get like prospects at this stage. They're they're more at the stage of competing now, and they have a good young core that they don't even really need prospects. They just True. need to develop. I, I suppose cap space is more needed than prospects right. for the Canucks at this stage. I yeah. will also mention um, that if the answer is not re-signing Bo Horvat you better have a good idea of who your leader's going to be, and you better have a good idea if the room is going to be okay with that or not. Yeah. And if the answer is JT Miller, then uh, beyond a shadow of doubt, they must be very confident in this guy's leadership capabilities because yep. obviously he's in it for the long haul now. Yeah, that, that's that's a fair point. I think the, the bigger worry is, okay, now what do you do with Bo Horvat? Um but yeah, maybe they do make JT Miller the guy, the the captain. Um, if they do uh, leave Bo Horvat, or maybe they they do bring in, um, maybe they make Quinn Hughes the captain or Peterson the captain, Besser maybe the captain. Um, but yeah, they have some options if it's not JT Miller too. Um, the other the other concern that I had, and it's the same as it was last year, uh, the guy behind Thatcher Demko. Yeah. Um, Spencer Martin is slated as that. He is currently 27 years old, and he has played a grand total of nine okay. NHL games over the past five or six seasons. Now, to be fair, in the six games they played with Vancouver last year, 
He had a 1.74 GAA and a 950 save percentage. So they must have been really impressed with the six appearances that he did make yeah. and the numbers that he did put up. But it's just that the fact that he's he's kind of a late bloomer, I don't know if I'm willing to make that as my backup with prime Thatcher Demko with all of these guys yeah. in their primes or nearing their primes. I feel like you're really risking a lot of your future on a lot of question marks at backup. And yeah. I think Spencer Martin might be a better option than Yaroslav Halak because when Yaroslav Halak played, he didn't play well, and they right. leaned on Demko even more. So if you're going to put in a goalie, at least you're feeling confident as to who you're putting in the net when when Demko's not getting yes. a start, and you feel confident that goalie is going to give you a chance to win. But I feel long-term, uh, they maybe could do more than Spencer Martin as their backup. But hey, if he proves me wrong and he has a good season and he demonstrates that he can be a legit NHL backup, then hey, props to the Canucks for, for the find. Um, I <laughs> And they better they better hope that if uh, Spencer Martin isn't the answer, Michael DiPietro's development takes yeah. a positive step forward because that has been thrown into question the entire offseason by Zayden. Yeah, it's um yeah, I, I was just about to say how like well they do have Michael DiPietro, although he hasn't been that great. And he's your like one of your if I re- recall correctly, he was one of your favorite prospects back in the day. So Yeah, I'm very disappointed as to how his career has played out and but, uh, a lot of it is not his fault. Well, and and he's also 23 years old, so it's not like necessarily. Yeah. He's um, also a gem of a human being, so I just want him to do it. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, they. I, I also noticed while you were talking that they have Colin. De- they got they signed Colin Delia. Yes. So true. that's another yep. one. Um, also, Arthas uh, Silvos um, is another one in their system, so maybe mm-hmm. he'll be something. I don't know. I don't know yeah. too much. They about do it. have options. You're right. A lot yeah. of unproven options, yeah. but they do have options. Uh, speaking of goalies, uh, our next uh, topic is uh, Jake Ettinger. He signs a three-year deal worth $4 million, um, which is kind of like, I mean, I, I feel like that is definitely not um, what he's worth at the moment. But then you look at, like, the contracts that Carey Price got, Sergei Bobrovsky got. I mean, I know it's a little bit uncomparable because Price and Bob did more. Uh, before this, the current contract that they had, but, um, but yeah, at the same time, you know, you look at at Demko, you look at Carter Hart, and um, and like they aren't as good as what they like when they first got into the league. So maybe this, in a way, is a way to for the Dallas Stars to be careful. Um, I, I should say that Jake Ettinger did have a pretty good season this year, 9.14 save percentage and a, um, a GAA of 2.53. Uh, he went uh, 30-15-1, um, so that's uh, 48 games. Um, and then um, what where he really shined was in the playoffs, where he had a 9.54 save percentage and a... Um, I guess a 1.81 GAA of course that was in seven games so it's like you know very very small sample size but of course that's that's very good and if he can perform like that uh, throughout the whole season then of course you're you know you're talking about like a Shesterkin type player um, I think the other factor here is that 
Um, Jason Robinson Robertson still needs to be signed. Um, and uh, I guess the the Stars have, assuming that they put Kadobin in uh, LTIR, uh, which seems likely, uh, the Dallas Stars now have like 7.5 roughly uh, million to work with uh, for for J- Jason Robertson. But I guess it all depends on like if if Anton Kudobin's um, could ever come back or not. So it's, it's something that we would have to see. But if if Anton Kudobin does come back, then they currently have six point three million uh, to deal with, which is like maybe just a little bit lower than what Jason Robertson is worth. Um, but yeah, I, I guess like those those were my two thoughts. Is that yeah, if this deal can work. Um, or if like Edinger is that like is more likely the the guy that we saw in the playoffs, then yeah, this is a great deal, obviously. Um, but I, I I think this will be kind of like a set thing that we'll see for young goalies in the future of like this kind of like um, short term bridge deals, and then also not to mention the fact that uh, when Ottinger's contract is up. Uh, so will Jamie Benn's 9.5 contract, million contract as well. So, so then uh, that could end up being Ottinger's payday when it comes. Um, but yeah, I guess it, it, it is. T- you never know with goalies. So, um, but this this could definitely be a steal of a contract if Ottinger can continue on with what we saw in the playoffs. Did you hear me, or am I, Steve? Yeah, the other thing is, Brett, when people look at uh, the numbers he put up last year, uh, and he only got one shutout in his second season, by the way. He also only got one shutout in his rookie season, that being the... Uh, NHL regular season bubble of 2020-21, a division that had a lot of formidable opponents in it. And Jake Ettinger in that season went 11-8-7 with a 2.36 goals against average lower than the one he posted this year and a 9-11 save percentage on top of that. So a pretty neat introduction there. So um, if I know the overtime losses are still losses, but you still get a point. So in, let's see, 26 missed decisions, his team got a point in 18 of those 26. That's, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, the unfortunate part is that uh, Dallas won so few of those tight one-goal games, and that contributed to them not making the playoffs. Part of the reason why they were able to make the playoffs last year, oddly enough, is their ability to win those tight one-goal games. And Ettinger is a huge part of that. Part of the reason why he got to 30 wins was his clutch play in those tight games and against quality opponents on top of that. The other thing I like about this young goalie, and yes, six foot five, good athletic ability, that definitely helps any goaltender excel at the NHL level. But when he has a rough outing, he bounces back uh, pretty well. Uh, For example, in the regular season, he had a disastrous outing against the Rangers on March 12th six goals against on uh, 28 shots against and then 
He stops 36 of 39, then 28 of 31. Uh, a couple nights later, he stops uh, 36 of 38. So he goes on this nice little run where it's like two goals against, three goals against. He has the odd rough outing, four goals against, five goals against. And then right after that, he strings together a nice uh, little run of quality hockey, and he gives his team a chance to win every single time he hits the ice. So, yeah, he might have his rough outing. All goalies do. But he's able to bounce back from that, and that's what uh, people measure the most. And in a very tough central division, that's going to be huge because you're going to have the juggernauts, as you mentioned, Colorado, St. Louis. Yeah. Um, I classified Minnesota and Nashville as dark horses there. They they have the ability to be top three teams on any given night. Um, and Dallas needs quality goaltending from Jay Gettinger. Uh, now that you know Brayden Holpe is not a part of the plan due to injury concerns, now that you know Anton Udobin has kind of slumped from that magical 2020 run in the playoffs that he had, with the Dallas Stars, the fact that he's also aging and also shown injury concerns. Ben Bishop has retired. Sure is the guy. Their backup plan is Scott Wedgwood. So you know for a fact that Jake Ettinger is your starting goaltender. And I say that because uh, heading into this, uh, the previous season, I should say, the start of the 2021-22 season, I was in a fantasy hockey draft. And the three goalies that I mentioned, Hudobin, um, Holpe, and Bishop, were all taken. In fact, Bishop was even protected despite the fact that he was injured. And Jake Ettinger wasn't even on the fantasy draft sheet for my league. I picked him, total off-the-board pick, Everyone's like, well, who's this guy? Well, they know who Jake Ettinger is now. He's the face of the Dallas Stars between the pipes. He's going to be beyond the next three years. And it's a good thing that uh, Jamie Benn's contract is going to be up by then because they're going to need a fair amount of that to keep Jake Ettinger around. He is going to be uh, right up there with Ilya Sorokin and Thatcher Demko as the future of NHL goaltending. Well, you missed the most obvious one of future goaltending in, in Shostakovich. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Shostakovich, yes. There's also... There's also um, I would I would kind of hold my horses on, on that talk just for the moment, just because it's like I look at what happened to Carter Hart. We were saying the same thing about him when he started going on, and he hasn't been as good. Um, and it's like, you know, you look at... And yeah, you're right, like 30 wins... Um, in 48 games um, this year is impressive um, considering the fact that as you are mentioning he played like the Central Division has a lot of offensive uh, teams in there um, and yeah of course he had like a phenomenal playoffs as well um, it's just like you have to be wary of, of goalies especially early on and young goalies like this it's like you know you don't want to ruin him like Carter Hart has been ruined. Um, or now, to be fair, they do have Esselindel, one of the league's best shutdown defensemen in the picture. Yeah. Uh, they also have Miro Heiskanen. So I would say the core, the defensive core that Carter Hart plays uh, in front of, or behind, I should say, uh, I would say is weaker than Dallas's as well. And fair. they've got some promising young defensemen uh, waiting in the wings too. Fair. Yeah, fair. I, I guess it's just like, you know, like I think we're – like you look at his playoffs, 
and you're just thinking like, okay, he had a 9.54 save percentage in seven games. That is a good indication that maybe he he is going to be a good goalie. And as you're mentioning, it's like, yeah, 30 wins in a very tough division. That's great. But um, but then at the same time, you see like, okay, he has a 9.14 save percentage. It's like, it's, it's good. It's not terrible either. Um, and then you see like a GAA of 2.53. So it's like, we have to be like the whole reason why they even gave them a bridge deal like this is just because like no one knows about goalies. Um, so so we have to like, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I agree with you that he could end up looking very uh, this contract could pay dividends, um, especially if he like, you know, continues with what he was doing in the playoffs this past year. But it could also turn out to be another Andrew Raycroft. It could turn out to be another Carter Hart. Um, even Thatcher Demko, although he's he's kind of picked it up towards the end, is like that's another person who he could end up being. Where it's like, okay, maybe he isn't as good as we thought he was. Um, but uh, so that that's that's more like we don't we shouldn't get like annoyed him like the future of goaltending when um, when he hasn't really had. A great season just yet now the other the other thing that i will say about the dallas stars that kind of works to their advantage obviously the ben and sagan contracts are kind of iffy yeah. at this point the good news is after this upcoming season you have obviously rupe hints is going to be a name they'll want to keep around maybe with dennis Gurianov, but they have one two three four guys that are rfas four fours that are rfas and they have one, two, three, four, five guys that are UFAs, including Joe Pavelski. So it's not like Dallas is married to their offense specifically. There are some interchangeable parts they can choose to move away from. It's not like this is your offense. This is what you have to deal with. Um, the good news for Dallas is if they spend their money wisely beyond this year and they pick the right offensive guys, the offense can turn it around and Jake Ettinger's job becomes easier. But you're right, Brett, there, there is a, a couple of unknowns being, A, you're not really sure how to evaluate goalies, and also you're not really sure how he's going to do in Peter DeBoer's system because that's the other thing, right. similar to everyone else on this team, they have to play for a new coach now. Yeah. And that coach might coach a bit differently than their previous coach, Rick Bonus. Yeah, that's a good point, too, especially with the guy, DeBoer, and uh, Robin Leonard, the other goaltender, didn't tend to get along. So, so yeah, that, that is also a good point, too. True, true. But on the flip side, Peter DeBoer has made a few conference finals with yep. different teams. So that's what Dallas is hoping for, yeah. is that uh, they can get results immediately. Yeah, I, I guess my point is is that, like, yeah, this this could work out like you're saying it could. And and if it does, great. But on the other hand, it's like you know, if it if it doesn't, it it, um, it might not be great. It, you know, it might not work out for them. But at the same time, it's like if if he's not as good as we thought he was, you know, he's still making four million uh, for three years, and it's not like too bad of a a deal. And like, yeah, they'll have to find other goaltenders somehow in the system, but. You know, maybe they'll, they'll figure something out if, if Edinger is not, um, is like a Martin Jones level bad. Um, yeah, and, and he's also yeah. an RFA at the end of this deal, so you so, could yeah. still trade him. You, you still have his rights once this ends. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a low risk, high reward type deal. 
So mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, it's a good it's a good middle ground. And it will give you more room to sign uh, Jason Robertson, True. which is the yes. even bigger, greater news uh, for this. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so the next thing that we have here is uh, Tage Thompson. Uh, he gets an extension. Uh, it is, uh, why can't I find it? Oh, here it is. Seven years f- uh, worth $7.14 uh, million uh, per year. It's $50 million, um, flat um, as a value, but uh, I guess it just doesn't go into seven years um, evenly like that. Um, when it first, like, yeah, I know that uh, Tate Thompson had, like, a career year this year. He had 38 goals and 68 points in 78 games. Um, and he's also 24 years old. Um, surprisingly, even though he is, like, he does have that body type of, uh, of like, a power forward, he doesn't hit that often, which I thought was kind of surprising when I was looking at his stats. But, um, but yeah, he, he's, he was also the guy that... Um, the, the Sabres got in the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Um, and, um, yeah, it, you know, so, uh, and he just broke out this year. Uh, he pretty much, as soon as when Jack Eichel was gone, he kind of became the de facto center for the Buffalo Sabres. Um, however, um, there's a couple of things that I'm not necessarily sure this is, the greatest contract. It's like, yes, it's very possible that Tage Thompson can continue this, this, um, you know, this pace and, you know, he's reaching his prime years and all that stuff. But uh, that was by far his best season. Uh, The previous year, he had 14 points in 38 games. um, And then uh, 12 points um, in his first year um, with Buffalo in 65 games. It's not good. Um, he also has a minus 17, not to mention the fact that uh, they have uh, Dylan Cousins, Casey Middlestad um, as centers already. Um, Peyton Krebs can also play some center. They drafted, uh, um, what's his face, Matt Savoy this year. Um, he's also a center, so, um, so Tate Thompson will have some, uh, some competition. Um, when it comes to come, when it comes to that, um, and also when you think of the Sabers, I know it's a different GM, but uh, you look at Je- uh, Jeff Skinner; uh, he's making nine million dollars uh, long term uh, for like uh, another deal. So it's like it's kind of crazy where like the same team that uh, uh, d- dealt out a Jeff Skinner type contract. Um, which was is now like the worst contract in the league. It's not that you know Jeff Skinner had a terrible season this past year. He actually did have a pretty good season, but um, just the fact that like um, that the Sabers are also like you would think that the Sabers would be willing to like not give him the extension after one pretty good year. Um, so uh, I'm not necess- I'm not convinced just yet that Tage Thompson will have the same season that he's had, but yeah, it's like they're, they're risking a lot. And I guess maybe in a way it's like after the Jack Eichel debacle, maybe that's what the Sabres are doing is they want to show, prove to Owen Power, um, Tuck, 
um, Krebs, uh, all these guys, um, Darlene, that like, okay, they're, they're willing to keep their guys if they want to play here. Um, and, you know, it's just going to do away with, like, it's more of a message to that. But then, if that's the case, why didn't they just wait one more year to see if he is actually that good? Um, or if he can continue on that pace, because that so that that that's the thing that I don't necessarily understand. It's like why do it this off season? Why couldn't they have just done it next year? Yeah, that that is definitely um, the main thing that's on my mind. Um, and if he plays like this, this contract will be quite the bargain not only because of his numbers but because of how he influenced jeff skinner's numbers and i'll get to james johnson's numbers first uh on a quarter by quarter basis quarter one this was around the time that jack eichel left town 15 points in 21 games 10 goals on 60 shots for the sabers given where their offense was that's pretty decent then he has four goals in the next 18 games 62 shots uh, but he does have eight power play points, and in those 18 games, he has 13 points. Uh, so, respectable half a game at least pace. That's not bad. Um, final, uh, there, sorry, not the final uh, 19 games. The next 19 games, quarter three, 11 goals, 17 points on 73 shots, only two power play points, and yet he's near a point per game pace. And then the final 20 games, he's over a point per game pace. He gets 13 goals, 23 points on just 58 shots, so his shooting percentage is the best it's ever been. And throughout all of this time, the highest time on ice he averaged was 18-11 in quarter three. Outside of that, it was around 17-18 minutes. In each of these quarters, Jeff Skinner's name pops up a lot. And if you think that Tage Thompson probably influenced Jeff Skinner's bounce back year, I would say that's a fair assessment. Tage Thompson, as you mentioned, Brett, 38 goals, 68 points in 78 games. That's a 71-point pace over a full 82 games. 253 shots on goal, 10 power play goals, 16 power play points, and just under 18 minutes of ice time per game. Uh, He averaged 238 per game on the power play. Jeff Skinner who is getting paid to be a 30-goal scorer, probably more than that, getting nine-plus million by the Buffalo Sabres, around eight or nine million. It's a lot of money. And he only got seven goals and 14 points the year prior in 53 games. The previous year was horrific for Jeff Skinner, and his ice time was below 15 minutes a night. And so is his power play time. He barely even averaged a minute 30 per game. 17.05 per game for Jeff Skinner in all situations. 249 per game on the power play. He gets five goals, 11 power play points. Again, power play points, that's not bad. 262 shots on goal. That's an average of 3.3 shots per game. It was 2.1 the year prior. His plus minus is a bit worse. It was a minus 11 in that god-awful 2020-21 season. It was only minus 14 this year, this past year. And yet, 33 goals, 63 points in 80 games. Huge bounce back year for Jeff Skinner. And I think the fact that Tage Thompson and Jeff Skinner had successful seasons, largely as line mates, in my opinion, is a big reason why they wanted to get this deal done and out of the way. 
you want a guy that complements Jeff Skinner's offensive abilities. You want to make sure that the investment you made in Jeff Skinner is somehow worth it. And if Tage Thompson is being put into a situation where he has all the leverage and prices himself out of Buffalo, that's a pretty tough situation for the organization to be in when you consider all of the players they have traded away, all the yeah. faith they just pissed away. <laughs> I, I, can't, I don't blame them for getting yeah. this out of the way one year too early. The yeah. other thing that I will emphasize before we get to uh, future points is if you're Tim Stutzla and you're Alex Dabrinkit, not that it would impact your value, but you have no excuse not to ask for seven plus million when Tage Thompson got over seven million for one good season. That's all I'll say on that. Well, okay, of course you're bringing it back to the Senators. Um, and I mentioned it to Debrinket as well, and it goes with every yeah. single restricted free agent that is better or on the same level as Tage Thompson. Well, okay, Debrinket, yes, I, I would, I would even argue that Debrinket is even better than Tage Thompson. So I, yeah, I don't, no, you're not wrong. Yeah. And I, I don't even think they're comparable um, to that point. Um, but Tim Stutzla hasn't, like, yeah, he's shown promise and all that stuff, but he's not, he hasn't had as good of a season as Tage Thompson has. So maybe as soon as, like, Stutzla does, like, if, if Stutzla does have the same type of season as Tage Thompson just had, then yes, you have a point. And <laughs> Devin Cat, um, he's on another level. Like, he's on another tier above those two guys. Um uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I see what you're saying is that, like, and as I was mentioning, it does send a message to the rest of the team that, like, they're willing to, uh, like, you know, just this, this whole decade of Buffalo has been so depressing uh, for the Sabres that I get it, that they want to sign their guys. But it's like, haven't they learned from Jeff Skinner? <laughs> like, 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 shouldn't they, like, like it, it, that, that part doesn't make sense to me. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm just, and I'm also just a little bit skeptical that I'm not sure if Tage Thompson is necessarily the guy. Maybe he is going to be the guy, and, and I'm, I'm glad if he, they prove me wrong, or he proves me wrong, but it's just so rich for, for that to expect it. It's like, they didn't have to do this. <laughs> they didn't have to do it at this time and place. Um, but yeah, maybe if, like, let's say Tage Thompson does... Uh, I, and I guess, like, to, to your point, like, let's say Tate Thompson has, like, a 40-goal season this year, then it's like, okay, then you can make the case that, like, okay, then he's worth more than $7 million. Yeah, um, it's, it's, one of those, it's, but, it's one of those situations at the time where, like, yeah, it may seem like an overpay, but if he continues to produce at this rate, especially if the cap goes up, it's going to look like one of the best bargains in the league. I, it's it's kind of like Brad Marchand when he got paid. Yeah. Like, I think there was a bit of hesitation on both our ends where it's like, is he really worth that kind of money now? And we look at Brad Marchand and I'm just like, heck yeah, he is. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. I, I feel like I'm like the pessimist here now because I just said the yeah. same thing about Edinger. But it's like, yeah, I, 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 I know what you mean. But then it's like, okay, well, what if Tate Thompson is terrible? Then you have two contracts with Jeff Skinner and Tate Thompson, who are both terrible, and you have like an out. You have two of the worst contracts in the league now, um, because as you're mentioning, Jeff Skinner. A lot of the reason why Jeff Skinner 
was doing so well this season was because of Tage Thompson is doing so well. So if if uh, if Tage Thompson isn't as good, then Jeff Skinner is not going to be as good. And then and, you have and there's also. Also, Dylan Cousins and Rasmus yep. Dahlin and Peyton Krebs yep. and Jack Quinn that you're also going to have to pay right. over time that. within the next year, two, if three years. Yeah. Um, so if they're if they're as good as advertised and Tage Thompson is not, well, then you've got a lot of money tied up, and all of a sudden that Tage Thompson contract becomes an albatross yep. if he's not performing. Yeah, I also like you know maybe this is more my own opinion, but I I think. Cousins and Middlestead are better than Tage Thompson is, like at their peak, like assuming they get to that potential. So, so maybe that there, that's the other thing too. It's like, okay, well, what if Cousins um, overperforms Tage Thompson, and uh, and then you you have to deal with that. Um, so, yeah, I guess, I guess that that's also, um, but I mean, maybe that's just like a weird hypothetical too. Um, yeah, it, it's it's tough to evaluate a team like the Sabers yeah. when they have a lot of cap space. You don't know what their uh, their True. future is going to look like. Um, but I think this was one of those stepping stones, like Ottawa signing Thomas Shabbat to that big extension. You have to show that you're committing to somebody, and you're establishing this is a guy that's in it for the long haul, and this. And, and we want you to be the next guy that buys in. Yeah. If, if you were to kind of be a stickler with Tage Thompson all of a sudden, what message does that send to the rest of the team? The, that, yeah, we're still rebuilding and we're still not going to commit to anyone. The difference is, is that Shabbat had about, like, you know, a couple of seasons before they paid him where he was pretty good. Um, yeah, that is true. That so, is true. like, yeah, it's, it's more like, yeah, if, if, if Tage Thompson had, like, maybe another year where he was this good, then yes, I can understand it. But like at the, at the moment, it's just like this is only one good year. I I don't really understand. And I was like, this. There's definitely some risk. We can agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like last year. I mean, I guess this is even more equivalent. Is that like Kaprizov? Um, I was skept. I was as skeptical, even though yes, I know that he, you know he played in the KHL. He he was. It's a slightly different situation, but like you you're still just skeptical of like guys who performed well after one good year it's like okay that's great but like is he gonna do it again i'm not sure so uh, i i i I feel like it's just like a high risk high reward type situation unlike ottinger uh who we were just talking about and then Kirill Kaprizov proceeds to get forty-seven right. goals and yeah. one hundred and eight points but, yeah, yeah, yeah. after he signs. So, so it's like, yeah, I, I'm I'm glad I'm wrong with that situation, but that still means I'm like, like you know, you always have to be skeptical of those types of contracts. So it's like, yeah, it could yeah. work out for Kaprizov, but there's all or you know, it could work out for Tate Thompson like it did for Kaprizov, even though it is a slightly different situation. Uh, but yeah, it's it's also like. You know, it, it could just blow up in their face like it did for Jeff Skinner. Like, remember, Jeff Skinner had 40 goals and then they they signed him to a huge contract after that. It's like, OK, that's <laughs> so. So that's like the the worst case scenario of this type of situation. I, I, I think I'm just more like reflective. Like, I yes, I know it's a different GM and all that stuff, but it's just like this is the same team that uh, signed Jeff Skinner after one good year. Um to a long-term contract like this, and it, it was even worse. <laughs> so, um, so that, that that's more of why I'm like it's like the Sabers should know better 
It's like they already have an albatross contract on their thing. They can't afford another one. Um, and, and they have a very good case. They, they have a potential of doing the same thing. The good news is, is that um, they have currently 19 plus million dollars in cap space. And after this year, Kyle Pozo's $6 million cap hit comes off the books. So they'll have even more cap yep. space after next year. So they're not at this position where uh, they're kind of shutting themselves against the cap. And hopefully, as we mentioned many times, within the next couple of years, as they're starting to sign these guys, the cap is going to go up and it's going to make it a little bit easier to keep the gang around. Yep, that's fair. All right. Um, so we have... Um, um, and then the next thing that we are going to talk about is uh, the Vegas Golden Knights acquired yep. a goalie like we kind of expected them to. Uh, Eden Hill um, is traded to Vegas. The Sharks get a 2024 fourth round pick. Nothing, uh, not too bad. It's not as complicated as uh, last week when we were talking about the Sean Monahan uh, trade going on. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more shocked they just made a trade with their arch rivals, to be honest. Eh, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's not like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. I guess the thing is, is that uh, the Sharks, I mean, the Sharks aren't good right now. They're, they don't plan yeah. to be good this year, so it's not like, I don't know if it's that surprising, really. Um, but, um, yeah, so the Eden Hill, and especially since Eden Hill did not have a good season this past year, uh, he had a 906 save percentage and a 2.66 GAA, um, and he went 10-11-1. Uh, um, I guess this also makes sense from the Sharks' perspective, just really quickly, because they have Reimer, they have Kakanen, um, they also, I think they have another goaltender as well, but maybe not. Um, oh no, they still, okay, they have Reimer, Kakanen, um, I thought they had another one, but I guess they don't. Um, yeah, well, I think the other one was Aiden Hill, and then they traded right, him. Right, yeah, yeah, I guess that's why. Um, but, uh, yeah, so so I, I guess they, they could afford to do that. Um, yeah, when you look at that, it's not great. I do remember that the year, like the bubble year, um, Aiden Hill actually did pretty well um, in 13 games. Um, and then, um, although his record doesn't say so, I mean, I know it's like, it was only 13 games, but it's like two, four, and three. But he still had a 918 save percentage and a 2.62 GAA. Um, the following year, um, he uh, started in 17 games and he went 9 9 and 1, uh, 913 save percentage and a GAA of 2.74. And then this past year, as I just mentioned, he had a 906 save percentage and a GAA of 2.66. So that's not terrible, but it's not great. Either, especially when you're considering, like, he's playing with the Sharks and the Arizona Coyotes. Um, yeah, Aaron Dell is actually back with the Sharks. So, oh, okay. yeah, they do have a, another option in net, the Sharks do. Okay, okay, so maybe that's who I was thinking of, yeah. I don't know. Kind of fell under the radar there, but yeah. yeah. Um, well, so wait, 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 hold on. There's I, word that Laurent Brossois might not be ready for the start of the right. year. That's partially oh. why they made this move. I also think it's important that if one of Thompson or Brassois struggles mightily, it's good to have a plan C option to turn to. Yep. Um, and if you have to send someone down to the minors, then, well, um, 
Maybe you send someone down to the Myers. Maybe you run with a three goalie system. Who really knows? Yeah. Um, I mean, it it worked. It worked out well. A one A one B tandem with the Bruins. Uh, Jeremy Swayman and uh, Linus Ulmer got good results there. Maybe Cassidy can find that with uh, this goaltending trio of Logan Thompson, Aiden Hill, and Laurent Brossois while Leonard's out. Um, at the end of the day, you know the Vegas Golden Knights, as we talked about in the previous episode. The future is right now. Like, they're in it to win it right now, and they're doing whatever they can to make sure they make the most out of the current window they have before it closes shut on this group. And if having an extra goalie around that could potentially get you a decent amount of wins is what they need to get through the season without Leonard, then honestly, it's a low bargain, uh, low risk, high reward for them. Uh, especially when you consider they only gave up a fourth round pick. Yeah, I guess the thing is, is that we're not really sure how good Aiden Hill's going to be. Uh, so <laughs> there is some like skepticism. So it's like, like it's still not great. It's like, yeah, I, I get why they did it. They're desperate. There's not really a goaltender out on the market. Um, so it's like, okay. And the Sharks just were able to just do this like willy nilly and all that stuff. So it's like, okay, I I get it, but. Like, it's, like, still, it's, like, you're relying on Eden Hill <laughs> to do something. I'm not necessarily sure that's the best option. But, yeah, given what Vegas is, like, their situation, it makes sense that they go out and and, and get and make this trade. Um, but, you know, it's another story of, like, okay, how good is um, Eden Hill actually going to be? Um and can you rely on Logan Thompson or can, you know, as you were mentioning, Laurent Boursois is also going to be out um, to start the season. So, um, so yeah, this is just like insurance. Um, and even when Boursois comes back, hopefully then you can just send Eden Hill to the AHL um, if he's not working out for you. But, um, yeah. but yeah, it's still, it's still like, you know, it's, it's not great. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say like this trade is great, but I totally get it given the situation. Given their cap restraints as well. That too. Um, yeah. Their their cap constraints, like they're limited to what they could have made. Yeah. And, like the big. I think a bigger upgrade would have been Jake Allen, and that would have been, I think, a bit pricier than getting sure. Aiden Hill as well. So there's that to think about. Also, um, Alex Petrangelo, Alec Martinez, Shea Theodore, Braden McNabb, and Zach Whitecloud. Those are the five best defensemen on the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm pretty sure, in theory, uh, that is a better defensive group than what Aiden Hill has played of in any NHL season to date, just yeah. my opinion. Uh, well, you forgot about Nick Haig, who I was about to get to. Cause, True. Uh, uh, the unsigned Nick Haig, who is an yeah. RFA at the moment. But, yes, but he, so he's, pre- he's pretty good, too. But like I was saying, mm-hmm. he is unsigned. And they're at that limit of uh, so they still have to sign Nick Hague, um, and they can't. Um, yeah, yeah, they can't afford him at the moment, current moment. So they're going to yeah. have to make. I would imagine they'll they'll have to make a couple of trades uh, in order to to sign Nick Hague. But um, but yeah, it's also interesting here. I'm just looking at their cap friendly page. Um, it's really unclear what's going on because. They also so they have Leonard and Web Shea Weber on LTIR, but I don't think that's included in Cap Friendly's 
ultimate numbers because they say that they're 10 Maybe they million. don't include it until the season starts. Okay. Because right now because they Because I was taking a look at the math and uh, of the guys not on LTIR, and I'm thinking, I think if the LTIR okay. counts, they would barely be cap compliant. But again, the keyword is barely. Like, right, right now, Cap Friendly says they're 10 plus million over the cap. Yeah, but but I don't think that's including Shea Weber's 7.8 million or Robin Leonard's 5 million. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah you'd be correct. But he, yeah, when, when that does kick in, they'll just barely be cap compliant. Right, and I, yeah, I don't know if that, like, I, yeah, so it's, it's unclear of how much room they would have with uh, to sign Haig, um, which is what I'm confused about. But I guess yeah. I I don't know. I, I we'll we'll let the smarter people deal with that, or yeah, um, we'll figure it out some somehow. Um, okay, uh, so now we get into the the fun little game that Steve had actually came up with. Um, but uh, but basically we we gave some we have some pairings of. Uh, five five matchups we'll we'll call them, and they're just players that um, we're just gonna guess uh, who will have the better season uh, of these uh, of these matchups. Uh, we have five of them here. Uh, some of them they have some type. Well, all three, all five of them have some t- sort of connection to each other, so it's not like an arbitrary thing. What ha- what happened was uh, Steve gave me some of his suggestions and then I was like looking at them and was like oh some of these don't even really like fit together um so I was just like you know what let me just all like all all these guys have some sort of connection to each other um so so yeah our first matchup we have here is Eric Carlson and Brent Burns I guess speaking of the San Jose Sharks um of course Brent Burns got traded to Carolina um this year um, I included this one uh, because because uh, I think when Eric Carlson was traded to the Sharks, um, we were all wondering, okay, what does this mean with Brent Burns? Because Brent Burns was just coming off a career like a career year, um, and he um, yeah he was he was pretty much phenomenal, and you, you were thinking that okay like how is how is uh, Brent Burns and Eric Carlson going to play together. Um, and now that it's back to Brent Burns has his own team where he should be pretty good in Carolina versus Eric Carlson, um, who actually low-key had a pretty good season this past year. I mean, I know it's not as good as he was on the Sens, but um, but yeah, he's still, and he got injured. Uh, towards the end of the uh, of the season, but still, thirty five points in fifty games, not bad for for a thirty one year old, especially for someone who who has a heavy injury um, component to it. Um, so Brent Burns is now in Carolina. Um, Brent Burns also had a pretty good season too uh, this past year, fifty four points in eighty two games, um, and of course he's now going to a better team in Carolina. Uh, where he'll probably get back to it. So both of these guys are pretty similar just because they were former teammates now. Um, and, and now they're back to being the main guys on their team. Um, and they should, they should benefit from, from that, just from that aspect. Um, I think 
I don't know. I, I, I would think I'm, I'm going to go with... Uh, I think Eric, this might be kind of crazy, but I, I feel like Eric Carlson's going to have a bounce-back season. I know that he gets injured a lot, but... I don't know, and the Sharks are not going to be good at all this year. But I, I still think I, I think uh, Carlson could benefit from the fact that, like, he was decent when Brent Burns was the guy in San Jose, and now that Brent Burns is no longer there, I feel like we could potentially see the Eric Eric Carlson that we expected to see when the for the trade first started to happen. Um, and so I, I think I'm, I, I think Brent Burns is going to, he'll probably have like a 50-point season, maybe 55-point season, but I could see Eric Carlson having a 60-point season uh, this year and be one, like the best player on the Sharks um, this year. I think Eric Carlson, and I hope Eric Carlson bounces back, um, the one thing going against Eric Carlson is not once, and mind you, there are a couple of shortened seasons, so not entirely Eric Carlson's fault. Uh, in 52 of the 56 eligible games in 2020-21 he appeared in, he got 22 points in those 52 games. I say that because he hasn't hit 60 games once as a San Jose Shark in a single season. He had 53 games in his first year, 2018-19, he was traded to Ottawa at the start of training camp that season, 45 points in 53 games. Yep. That's a 70-point pace. 59-point pace the following year, 40 points in 56 games. 35-point pace uh, if he plays all 82 games in 2020-21, if 82-game season existed then. Uh, and this year, his uh, point per 82 pace would be 57, which for Eric Carlson standards, at around his age, and given his health concerns, if you're around 50 to 60 points, that's still pretty serviceable for an NHL offensive defenseman. The thing that concerns me about Eric Carlson is that also on top of his game's play going down, his ice time has also decreased. 24-29 his first season per game with the Sharks in all situations. Then it went down to, uh, sorry, slightly went up to 24-31 in his second year. Went down to 23.36, and last year is at 23.28, so it went down slightly again. So its ice time has also gone down. Yeah. It should also be noted that Eric Carlson is six foot, 190 pounds, so while he could get 200 shots per season uh, before his uh, Sharks tenure began, we're more looking at like 150, 160 shot season as the most likely for Eric Carlson. The good news is, I will add, for Eric Carlson, he did have 10 goals on 117 shots last season. That is a career high for a shooting percentage in a season, 8.5%. For him, that's pretty good as well. Yeah. should keep that in mind. And all of those weren't on the power play, too. So that's Eric Carlson. Brent Burns is still a freak. And part of the reason is because he's six foot five and weighs 230 pounds. And even at the age of 37, he's got game. 54 points in 82 games last year, 203 shots, 200 shot season as a 36, 37 year old dude with 150 blocks on top of that. 
while Eric Carlson's minutes have gone down, Brent Burns's minutes have actually gone up in uh, the course of the past four seasons. 25-06 and 18-19 when he had 83 points, 16 goals. 25-25 uh, the following year uh, with uh, 45 points in 70 games. That's still a 53-point pace over 82 games. Um, his numbers, like Eric Carlson, dipped in 2020-21. He had 29 points in 56 games, only seven goals. Yeah. Uh, but he still averaged just over 26 minutes per game, and it should be noted that his power play ice time per game at around this time is under three minutes. It's around 230, around 240, but it's under three minutes per game. And then this past year, he had 54 points in 82 games, as mentioned. 26.09 was his average ice time per game. So when I take a look at that, I consider also consider the fact that in four straight seasons, he had at least 300 shots. So this is Brent Burns in his prime. If you put him in an isolated Carolina defense with Brett Pesce and Jacob Slavin on it, and you manage his minutes, I think you can easily get 60 to 70 points out of Brent Burns, even if he's 37 or 38 years old. If you manage his minutes, manage the volume, I think that could really benefit his career. And even, even beyond this year, the next year, the year after that, however many years he's got left on his deal, he could still contribute at that rate if they manage his minutes. If they put him on the ice for 26 minutes a game, that might be pushing it. But if they insulate him properly, no doubt Brent Burns is going to have the better season, even if Eric Carlson bounces back to some degree. So the thing with the time on ice that you were mentioning um, is the fact that, like, they were on the same team. (laughs) So, um, like, no, like, no doubt that, like, yeah, duh, like, Eric Carlson isn't going to, like, he's the new guy uh, when they take him in. And so, like, yeah, I, I guess it makes sense that Brent Burns ended up becoming the guy, especially with Carlson, who just ended up getting injured. But now, um, Eric Carlson doesn't have, like, the, like, I'm just looking at their defense right now. Mario Ferraro, who's more of a defensive defenseman. Um, Mark Edward Vlasic, who's more of a, another shutdown defenseman. Matthew Benning, I don't even think I've ever heard of him, but it looks like he had 11 points. Around. He has 11 points in 65 games. Um, that doesn't scream offensive defenseman. Um, no. Radim Shemek, uh, also not a, like more of a shutdown guy. Marcus Nutabera, also <laughs> it seems like he's going to be a shutdown guy. The only offensive defenseman besides Eric Carlson that they have in their on their team right now is Ryan Merkley, and he had six points in 39 games. Granted, he's 22 uh, years old, um, and he had 15 minutes of ice time last year, so maybe that will pick up, but like that's also not guaranteed. And so it's like, so I, I feel like for for that alone, I feel like like okay, they're gonna have to like yes, I know the sharks are in rebuild mode and all that stuff, but they're going to have to rely heavily on Eric Carlson, um, even still just to be like just like a, to be taken seriously or just be relevant somehow. Um, although I, like you know just to even like you know 
just be respectable, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Whereas, yes, Brett Burns is very good, obviously, um, in Carolina, but Jacob Slavin, uh, yeah, he's more known for his defensive abilities, but he still had 42 points in 79 games. That's not terrible. Uh, Brady Shea started to pick it up later. Uh, he's also more known for his defensive stuff, but he had 39 points in nine uh, in uh, 82 games. Not terrible. Uh, Brett Pesci had 28 points in uh, seven, 70 games. So it's like, you know, they have more defensemen that can help out Brent Burns um, get along. So it's like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure. Like, I feel like Eric Carlson will have a better season just because the Sharks are going to have to rely more on Eric Carlson than the Hurricanes are going to have to rely more on Brent Burns. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think Brent Burns is in a better situation than Eric yeah. Carlson is that's to really thrive. And if that's our measuring success, if we're measuring success not based on what lies around you, if it's just based around your natural talents, then yes, I can see a world where Eric Carlson is better than Brent Burns. However, that'll be irrelevant if he's injured. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I guess... Yeah, <laughs> I mean... And that's part of the reason why yeah. I also went with Brent Burns is because if you look at uh, at his games played, 2015-16, 82 games. Same thing the next year and the year after that and the year after that. He played all 70 games before COVID hit. True. He played all 56 games in the shortened season, and last year he played a full 82 once again. Eric yeah. Carlson hasn't really done that consistently for the better part of the past five or six years. And, and not all that is his fault. Uh, crappy timing, bad luck with injuries. It happens. But uh, I think Brent Burns, even at 37 or 38, I still take his clean bill of health over Eric Carlson's yeah. questionable health. And Brent Burns is also five years older than Carlson. Yeah, but like that could, I mean, that could also lead to the fact that Burns, you know, may start to degrade further. Um, compared to Carlson, um, True. so I I think Burns I, I has less him. pressure on him than Eric Carlson. I think we can yeah. both agree on that. True. I think Burns, as long as he keeps up and he fires that hard work, uh, if he fires that hard booming Chavez from the point, and he just plays like twenty three, twenty four minutes a night, he just yeah. does his thing, and then he can get some good results there. But Eric Carlson, the world is practically on his shoulders with the with True. the Sharks now. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. I, I guess in like the things that Burns has for him is the he's on a better team, and uh, uh, he doesn't have as much of an injury history compared to Carlson. I don't know. I, I I guess I was just assuming like assuming they both play in eighty two games played um this, yeah this if you put season. them in an 82 game season and they're pretty much healthy all season yeah. long who has the better year yeah. right no and, i can see that and i and i you know that's what i'm going with on like all these guys sure. assuming because sure. you can't predict injuries really uh, but like yeah. i i get what no, you're saying for sure yeah. um okay um so the next two guys actually have more um, in common than just the fact that they have they share the same name. Uh, they both had 115 points. They're both left wingers, yep. and they both are playing for new teams. Uh, of course, I'm talking about uh, Jonathan Huberdeau and Johnny Gaudreau. 
Um, oh, they all they also both played. Uh, 80, oh no, I guess Huberdeau had 115 points, 85 assists um, in 80 games, whereas Gaudreau had 115 points, um, 75 assists in 82 games. They're both, I guess, another thing that they have in common is the fact that they're um, they're both um, playmakers. They both have a lot of assists. Um, so yeah, I so these are the two guys that we have together. Um, I don't know. I guess in terms of like teams, like I guess compared to the other one, it's like yeah, the the Hurricanes are that much better than the um, than the San Jose Sharks. But in this case, it's like, are the Calgary Flames that much better than the Columbus Blue Jackets? I'm not sure. Uh, they both are, they should help their team become better, but like, you know, Calgary is gonna be a new look team um, without Gaudreau and Kachuk. Whereas Gaudreau um, in Columbus, you know, you're adding on to a team that has Patrick Laine, Boone Jenner um, had a breakout season this past year. You have guys like um, ja- um, uh, uh, Cole Sillinger in the mix. Um, he could end up being pretty good. Jack Roslevic they have um, as well. So uh, Zach Wierenski on the um, back end. So so yeah, the, the Blue Jackets may end up being well uh, good. I'm not sure if either player will reach that 115 points that they had last year. Um, but I, I could see both of them being in like the 90 points, 100 points range. Um, so that, that makes sense, some sense to me. Um, I guess if I had to choose who will have more points, I would, I, I think I'm gonna go with Johnny Gaudreau, uh, just because like, uh, we know that Patrick Laine can score, and we know that uh, Boone Jenner, or at least he he was able to score some goals this past year. Uh, Cole Sillinger, I, I believe, has some stuff. So I, I think I would go with Gaudreau here, even though I guess Huberto has been more consistent uh, throughout his Colt career. Yeah, um... This is a tough one. I'm going to lean towards Jonathan Huberto, but I think in a couple of years that opinion could change because I definitely think Johnny Gaudreau has the ability to have a bigger impact on his team than Huberto. And I say that because Jonathan Huberto did a lot of good with the Florida Panthers this year, specifically with the linemates that he had. And the two most common linemates that he had were Anthony Duclair and Sam Bennett. Anthony Duclair, beyond a shadow of a doubt, had the best year of his career. Uh, in fact, the year before, he was also pretty good with uh, 32 points in 43 games. That's a 61-point pace if he plays a full 82 games. And this is a guy that only averaged 120 on the power play per game, averaged 1541 per game in all situations, and only took 104 shots in those 43 games. So that, that was in the bubble, regular season bubble of 2020-21 with Florida, his first season at that point. Then 2021-22 rolls around and he catches fire with his first 30-goal campaign. He finished with 31 goals in 74 games, added 27 assists for 58 points. If he plays the full 82 games, that's a 64-point pace. He takes 167 shots 
which means 31 goals on 167 shots. That's 18.6 shooting percentage. Huge for him. Nine goals, 21 points on the power play as well. His power play time on ice shoots up from 120 the season prior to 233 this past season. And yet his time on ice actually goes down by 40 seconds from the previous year. 1541 down to 1501 per game. And he was line mates with Jonathan Huberto. The other guy that benefited from Jonathan Huberto's solid play, and he's a good player in his own right, is Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett's season, his most recent season with the Florida Panthers, let's take a look at the results. 28 points, or sorry, no, 28 goals, his first full season with the Panthers in 71 games, 49 points. So that's 57-point pace over 82 games. He takes 241 shots, a far cry from the 106 shots in 48 games that he had the year prior. That's 3.4 shots per game this past season compared to 2.2 the season prior. 119 hits as well. Uh, averages 212 on the power play this past season. The year prior, it was only a minute 13 per game on the power play. And his ice time per game in all situations rose from 14.25 in 2020-21 to 16.57 in his first full season with the Florida Panthers. He benefited greatly from Jonathan Huberto and his presence. Whether you put Jonathan Huberto on the first line or second line, he can orchestrate his own line and he can get results for himself as well as for his current line mates. The argument that probably people are going to make against Jonathan Huberto is, well, yeah, he was on the second line and Alex Barkov was on the top line and everyone was focused on Alexander Barkov and Sam Reinhardt on the first line, which enabled opportunities for Jonathan Huberto and yada, yada, yada. And yes, that is true. That probably did open up some opportunities. But he also had 61 points in 55 games the year prior and 78 points in 69 games the year prior and 92 points in the 82 games the year before that. So he's had a remarkable stretch of four seasons, as I mentioned when the Kachuk for Huberto trade happened. And Johnny Gaudreau, in the middle of all that, as I mentioned when Columbus signed him, had two for his standards, mass seasons with Calgary in between two career years. So taking the past in mind, most recently this past season, I think Jonathan Huberto is going to have a bigger impact. He's in the better situation as well. And I do think he can surpass 100 points. It's going to be tougher for Goudreau to do that. And it's it's a bit unfair to put Goudreau in, in, in this conversation, largely because Calgary and Columbus are are two different scenarios where Jonathan Huberto is going to be the fixture of the Calgary offense. Huberto's got a better supporting cast. Uh, but if he can get like 90 to 95 points on a decent Blue Jackets offense, then yeah, I would classify that as a better season, even if Huberto has more points than Goudreau when it's all said and done. But yeah. if you're to ask me right now, I'd say Huberto has the better season. Yeah, that's totally fair. I, I feel like I could go with either one of these guys. Um, it's also it's interesting too because I feel like, like even though Huberto is um, older than Gaudreau, I don't know. Um, like I feel like playmakers, like those types of players, um, they 
tend to age better than like a, like another type of style like a sniper or a um, I don't know a power forward or something. Um, so so it's like it's definitely possible that even though uh, Huberto is older, um, it, it, it's very possible that we could see him be this this good for um, a couple more seasons. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like I could go either way. I, I guess, yeah, a lot of it just because both of these guys are going to be on new teams. It's, it's really just how how much are they going to gel with their new teammates. Um, and that's just something that we haven't seen. We, we don't know for sure, which is what makes this, um, this uh, matchup pretty interesting. Um, okay, now we have... Uh, the next set of players are actually brothers, and surprise, surprise, one of them is a Ottawa Senator. Of course, I'm talking about Matthew Kachuk and Brady Kachuk. Um, so uh, Matthew Kachuk this past year he had 104 points um, in 82 games. Uh, Brady Kachuk had 67 points in 79 games. Both pretty good seasons, obviously, but. Matthew Kachuk had a better season. Uh, the thing that Matthew has, um, or Matthew, where it's a little bit unclear for Matthew, is the fact that he plays, he's going to be in Florida this year. Uh, we're not sure how he's he's going to do um, in that in that role just yet. Where it's like Brady, it's like you know Ottawa did end up getting Alex DeBrincat, Claude Giroux. Uh, those will probably be his teammates. Um, and that should be a boost, but I guess there there is like in, but like he's still staying um, in his original team. Uh, the other interesting thing, this is kind of a side note, but um, according to Adam Ruzika, who um, is on the, if you don't know that name, that's that's totally okay. I'm understandable. Um, he's a uh, he's a player for the Calgary Flames. Uh, he went on a podcast and said that Matthew Kachuk. Um, Wanted, had put in a captaincy clause um, in his contract, or he wanted to be the captain for the Calgary Flames, um, and uh, Calgary wasn't willing to request that. Apparently, this is like he was taking after his brother, Brady Kachuk, who did put that he wanted to be captain in his contract, and Ottawa was able to um, accept that, that role. Um, and and then he was able to do that. So again, this is like a you know like a fringe player. Who knows how true it is? But um, I thought that was an interesting thing, uh, just from from that standpoint of like, okay, I can like maybe there is like a way that like Calgary, like even if even if it is kind of ludicrous to ask that of it, it's like in the fact that like Matthew Kachuk did end up going to Florida where the captain is uh, Alex Barkov and he signs a long-term deal already. So it's like, he's probably not gonna be the captain there um, anyways. But um, but I, I just thought it was interesting just from that standpoint. It's like Calgary is basically saying that they would rather have no captain than make Matthew Kachuk the captain. Um, although I'm not even really sure if Matthew Kachuk would be a great captain considering the fact that he picked a fight with pretty much everyone in his division. 
So, um, so yeah. In particular, the Jake Muzzin incident and in Drew, the regular season bubble. Uh, I, the the Calgary Flames didn't look like the same team after that. I think that affected them more yeah. than maybe people in the dressing room would like to admit. You can yeah, just tell right. by their performance afterwards. Well, I was even thinking of the Drew Doughty stuff, but yeah, you're right. Well, Jake there's Muzzin also too. that, yeah. But I, I, I mean, you only do that, like, it, you can't be doing that kind of stuff if you're the captain. You have to lead by example. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. <laughs> I, I, I feel like that's more on borderline distraction the more you do it. Yeah, that's fair. I guess I, yeah, I'm not really, sh- yeah. I guess it's one of those things that we'll never know if Matthew Kachuk could be a good captain or not. But yeah, I know that, that's also a good point, too. I was, I was just thinking of, like, the Zach Cassian stuff, Drew Doughty stuff. Yeah. But yeah, you're right with the, I forgot about that freak out that he had um, in the bubble. Um, but yeah, so anyways, I mean, I, I don't think that affects either one of it, but I, I did want to like bring it up because I thought it was like, it, it is speculation at this point, of course. Um, and we, we will probably never know what what's actually true or not, but um, I just thought that was interesting of like, okay, maybe... If that is all true, then that would explain why Matthew Kachuk wanted out um, anyways. Um, you know, y- even if it was just like, okay, Johnny Gaudreau's left, maybe um, I-, I want out as well. But um, but there, that could be another reason why he wanted out. Um, anyways, I, I think I, I think I'd still go with uh, Matthew Kachuk here. Um, because yes, as like I, I think both of them are gonna have great years, um, but I, I think like in this regard, I think I would take the fact that like Matthew Kachuk did have like I don't think he's gonna have an a hundred point season again, um, but at the same time, like I think he is going to be. Like, in this case, I think he is going to be, like, when it all thing because it's so close, I think I would rather have him, um, like, just looking at his potential line mates of Alex Barkov and Sam Reinhardt um, versus, like, you know, Claude Giroux and Alex Debrinkat. I think of those, like, if, would I rather have Barkov and Reinhardt or... Um, Debrincat and Giroux, I think I'd rather have Barkov and Reinhardt if those are the lines. Like according to Cap Friendly, those are <laughs> the lines currently. Um, maybe they switch things up, but um, but yeah. So I, I think I would go with um, Kachuk, but uh, Matthew Kachuk, but um, but yeah, it, it's definitely pretty close. Yeah. Um, it. it it's going to be separated by a millimeter uh, this race, and I think both are going to have amazing seasons. Uh, just for the record, uh, there was um, a recent conversation about a month ago uh, featuring Pete Jensen. I believe he was on the NHL Network podcast or a podcast of some sort of affiliation with the NHL Network, and he predicted Brady Kachuk is is the type of player that's really going to fill the net with all of the offseason additions that Ottawa has made. Um, and he could be a fancy stud. Like, he, he already is an underrated fancy stud, but, like, he could get to that next level of awesome. 
and by next level, like I'm thinking 40 plus goals, 80 to 90 points easy. Maybe he pushes a hundred. And I say that because he has good chemistry with Josh Norris and Drake Batherson. Never underestimate that chemistry. Batherson was a point per game player before that injury against Buffalo. Um, I think he is probably going to be a point per game player this year. You have Josh Norris who got 30 plus goals as well. Um, with him and Brady Kachuk probably taking another step forward, I would assume Batherson does the same. He's going to have another good season too. And that second line is a lot more credible now. As I mentioned, when Claude Giroux arrived and when Alex Brinkett arrived, you put them in between uh, Tim Stutzla as their center, who is probably hopefully taking another step forward for the Sens. Um, as a Sens fan, I'd love to see that. But more so... It's like, man, there's another line we're going to have to deal with. It's going to be a pain in the ass. That's what opponents are going to be talking about. When they look at a 40-goal score, 50-goal score in Debrinkit, and a playmaker in Stutzla, and a veteran player in Claude Giroux that can also set guys up, that second line is a whole lot tough to contain. And now they also have to keep their eyes on an already deadly line with a lot of positive chemistry in uh, Kachuk, Norris, and Batherson. So that's part of the reason why I think Kachuk's numbers are about to go through the roof. And this past year, he had 30 goals, 67 points, 288 shots on goal, 270 hits, uh, 10 power play goals, averaged over three minutes of, of power play time in back-to-back seasons, and he averaged close to 19 minutes per game this past season. Um, there's no reason why those numbers uh, can't be better moving forward. I think Matthew Kachuk could have a better season than Brady Kachuk, however, but I think a lot of that stems on his ability to create chemistry with his own line, like Huberto was able to do in Florida. And the reason I say that is because he was on a very solid line with Elias Lindholm and Johnny Gaudreau, Elias Lindholm, being a solid two-way center that can score goals and Jonathan Huberto that can set guys up, Matthew Kachuk could just go out there and do his thing, and he really excelled, especially this past season. If he can excel with linemates like Anthony Duclair or Sam Bennett or Carter Verhage, imagine the type of credibility that he gets on top of the credibility he's already received in his first four, five, six years in the league. Like, Matthew Kachuk is that much better if he gets that type of success he had last year or, like, even, like, 85, 90 points just on his own line that doesn't hinge on a guy like Alex Barkov. If if Matthew Kachuk can have that type of success with a bit of lesser teammates than what he had in Calgary – on his line, I think that probably makes him a better player than Brady Kachuk, in my opinion. But um, I give a slight edge to Brady until I see how Matthew Kachuk uh, performs and what line he's on. I think that hinges a lot on this debate. Although, wouldn't you say that like Brady Kachuk is also going to have some line mate, new line mates too? So we'll have to see. Like That's also like... We, we, we I suppose, I suppose. We don't know I, how he's going I, to gel I, I think with. If I'm DJ Smith. I keep riding that top line for as long as I can, unless right. I know that things need to be that need 
things some things need to be changed to whether it's uh the top line is struggling or they need to get the second line going somehow yeah but i would imagine that they're going to put to bring cat and kachuk on the same line and Giroux um up there as well um that would be interesting, not going to lie. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I like, yeah, I, I don't know if it's necessary. Like, I, I see what you're saying. It's like, yeah, it works with Norris and um, Batherson, but I would not be shocked if, like, it's it ends up being uh, Debrinkat and Giroux. Um, also, like, yes, I know that Senators, the Senators have made improvements this offseason, but... Um, they're not comparable to the Florida Panthers, um, just in terms of the team. So it's like, even if, like, let's say uh, Matthew Kachuk doesn't gel with Barkov and Reinhardt, then he'd have uh, Sam Bennett on his next line, or Anton Lindell if Lindell takes the next step, um, and Carter Verhage, although Verhage's more of a left winger. Um, um, himself, or maybe you move Matthew Kachuk to, I know he plays right wing, as well, so mm-hmm. so maybe like you move him on to the next line with Verhage and Bennett. That's a pretty good line too. Um, so so that's definitely something that to consider where um, where you 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 have like more t- you have more good players to deal with with in Florida than you would in for Ottawa. Um, I'm just pulling, just pouring some cold water over here. I know you're excited about Ottawa. You finally have something to be excited about, but I just, I would rather you just hold your horses just, just a little bit uh, before you, you start going crazy about it. Um, all right, uh, our next step is actually the two guys who uh, both had career years, especially in the post lockout, um, as defensemen. Uh, yeah, ended up having, uh, and we even did an episode on this, uh, we had um, Roman Yossi, who ended up getting 96 points in 80 games, so not 100 points. Um, and then you have him against Kale McCarr, uh, who ended up having um, 86 points in 77 games. Um, if I remember correctly, we were kind of wondering if McCarr would reach the 30-goal mark um, as a defenseman. Uh, he didn't do that. He had 28 goals, though, which was obviously pretty good. Um, and then Roman Yossi, we were wondering if he was going to reach the 100-point mark, which he didn't do, but 96 points is obviously also pretty good. Um, Kale McCarr ended up winning um, the Norris Trophy, although um, what was weird was that like Roman Yossi, I thought, would end up getting... I think we made a whole thing about it where, like, we thought Roman Yossi would have been even closer, but um, it, it wasn't. Um, and, of course, Kel McCarr is, like, comparable to, like, Connor McDavid now, especially now that he has a cup um, and all that stuff. Um, so here's the thing. It's, like, Ro- I'm not sure if we'll see Roman Yossi be this good again, um, but... Like, especially since it's like he's working with a worse team. But, um, but I don't know. I, I feel like, like, again, it goes back to that Eric Carlson-Burns uh, matchup that we were talking about. I, th- I think, like, Roman Yossi has, is, is the guy um, as a defenseman compared to, like, if Kim McCarr doesn't end up, 
like for some reason if he's not good um, this next season, then it's like you have Bowen Byron, you have Sam Gerrard, um, who's going to pick it up. You have um, uh, uh, there was another guy that I was thinking of and I'm now blanking on, uh, but the Colorado point Devin is, is yeah, Devin Tays, he's also pretty good. Um, I was going to say Eric Carl, uh, Eric Johnson, but he's like more of a yep. shutdown guy. Um, but like, yeah, um, Nashville does have Dante Fabro um, in the mix, but he's more of a shutdown guy. Matthias Ekholm's another guy, um, but like for the most part, like you're not really like uh, you know Roman Yossi is the pretty much the only offensive defenseman on their team. Um, so I I. I th- think I'm going to go, I don't know, I feel like it pains me to say this. I was going to say Roman Yossi. Uh, I, I think I'll go with Kale McCarr, actually. I, 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 um, I think he's unbelievable. Um, he's, uh, yeah, he's like the next coming of Bobby Orr, dare I say. Um, so, like, as much as I think Roman Yossi is going to do really well, um, there's like you know I think Kel McCarr just transcends time basically and what defensemen can do in this in the, in this post lockout era um, and he's also like he's re- he's like he's not even at his prime years just yet which is even crazy he's 24 years old uh, so he's only gonna get better I yeah I think I'm gonna go with Kel McCarr. Yeah, I, I, with the power of hindsight, I'm sure Avs fans have never been happier to lose a draft lottery. Imagine yeah. getting the best pick in the draft at fourth overall. Um, it's not the fact that he got 86 points in 77 games or the fact that he got 28 goals in that span. It's how he got them. Like, this dude only took 240 shots this past year. He didn't even break 150 shots in his previous years. He had 50 points in 57 games and 44 points in 44 games during that span. And he was averaging like over 330 per game on the power play, 412 in his second season. And his career high for time on ice is 2540 per game set last year. And I say this because Colorado is heavily loaded on offense. They get a heck of a lot of power play time. And even if Devin Taves gets another 50-point season, or if Bowen Byram gets to that level as well, and you have Sam Gerrard that can ship in 30 to 40 points as well, you have guys like Josh Manson and Eric Johnson that can allow guys like Cale McCarr to do their thing offensively, that can play shutdown defense, can throw their weight around, and create some odd man rushes going the other way. I think that is invaluable to the rest of the Colorado Avalanche. But the one thing that Kale McCarr has that Roman Yossi doesn't have as much of is that pure skill to just do everything by himself and make a sick pass or that overtime goal, I think it was against Chicago when Flurry was still there, how he just undressed a couple of guys, just fooled Flurry and just ended the game all by himself. He can. He, he has that McDavid-like ability to just turn on a dime and single-handedly change the outcome of a hockey game just with a couple of things he's able to do 
and it just comes natural to him. It, it, he makes it look so effortless and so easy. So with that kind of skill, I think Kale McCarr is going to have the better year. I will say call, uh, that, that Roman Yossi did have a good year, but I, and, and I do think that uh, his success is part of the reason why Philip Forsberg had such a good year, why Matt Duchesne had such a great year. A lot of guys on Nashville had bounce back years, and I think Yossi was the main reason for that. Heading into this year, he also has Ryan McDonough helping him out. It's not just Matias at home now, which uh, definitely helps. Him. They also have Dante Fabro uh, developing his craft. Um, that's good too. But I, I just think with the amount of superstar talent and the amount of superstar gifts that McCarr has been blessed with, um, that is going to set himself apart for in this game for on October 30th and probably haven't even seen his best hockey yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right. Yeah. I think we're in agreement, um, there. So <laughs> yeah, like, to answer your question, I'm going with Kale McCarr as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, if I did that clear. Yeah, no, no, you, you, were, you were clear. Um, I th- yeah, I think we're both in agreement there. Um, yeah, I, I think that's actually, of these five, uh, four matchups that we've done, This is the that was the first time we both agreed. Um, so that's something. Um, okay, uh, we now go to the yeah. next one, yeah. uh, which is... Um, Igor Shashurkin and Andre Vasilevsky. Of course, they're both Russian goalies. Uh, Shashurkin has started to become the goaltender of the regular season. Um, and uh, Vasilevsky, of course, is the goaltender of the playoffs. He's very good in the playoffs. I mean, and, he, and he's pretty good in the regular season, of course, as well. Um, so, which makes this interesting. Of course, we can't really do, like, who will have the most points Um here, uh, but like, yeah, who will have the better season, I guess is something that we can do. Um, yeah, I, I tend to be more skeptical of goalies. Um, and as I just was talking about with Ottinger, um, you know, it's, it's unclear, like, yeah, like Shesterkin had one very good year, uh, this past year, uh, he had a 935 save percentage and a 2.07 GAA, um, outstanding, he almost won the Hart Trophy. He was that good. Um, of course, he won the Vezina. Uh, but um, but then you look at, like, Vasilevsky. He's also, like, a different breed as well. Uh, first off, he plays, like, he played 63 uh, games this year um, and won 39 of them. Nowadays, it's like, you know, I, I guess in the past, it's usually like, okay, yeah, what, what's, what's the big deal with that? But... More and more teams are doing more tandems and they're relying on more than one goalie uh, to be the starter. Whereas for Tampa Bay, they they don't do that. They just have Vasilevsky play pretty much everything, um, every time. And it works for them because, uh, yeah, he had a 9.16 save percentage and a 2.49 GAA. That's pretty good in 63 games. So he's no slouch either. Um... In terms of the better season, um, yeah, I, I guess Shesterkin does have, like, 
Like, I should probably go with Shesterkin just because, like, yeah, he had a great season. Um, he had a decent year the last year. Um, but I, I feel like I should go with Vasilevsky just because he's been more consistent um, for longer. Um, and with goalies, like, you just always have to go with the more consistent goalie. Um, so I'm going to go with Vasilevsky just because he's been more consistent. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you in the sense that the wear and tear on Shashirkin might come back uh, to catch up to him, largely because he's been heavily relied on to the point where he's being relied on too much to deliver the Rangers' victories. Um, I don't know if anyone watches Bar Down Quizzes. It's a division of TSN. And they have these quizzes. And the latest quiz that they did on the 2022 NHL season, the final boss question was about Shashirkin. And how many games, out of the wins, how many games the Rangers were outshot? And out of those wins, how many games were they outshot by 15 or more? And both, the answers to both of those questions are freaking mind-boggling. Like, he won 36 games, and I think it was at least 20. Uh, the Rangers were outshot in, in the games that he won. And I think it was seven games where they were outshot by 15 or more. And they still won because Shashirkin was in net and he was basically stopping close to everything that came his way. He also had six shutouts out of those 36 wins. Um, so his, his nomination for the Hart Trophy was definitely justified. And it showed in the playoffs, in the early stages of the Pittsburgh series especially, um, just how, how much they relied on Shashirkin and his ability to just steal games. In the Carolina series, we also saw it a few times as well. Um, the reality is also, I think Vasilevsky is the better team in front of him. Like, yeah, Mikhail Sergachev and Victor Hedman on that blue line. Even with, even by losing McDonough, you still have those two guys. Um, I think just all around, Tampa Bay is still the better team than the Rangers are. Um, and I think that also works in Vasilevsky's favor. But when it really, really matters, and not that Yurgir Shashirkin isn't able to do this someday. I, I think his, his best days are still ahead of him, obviously, at a young age. Being so freshly introduced to the NHL, only played in the NHL for a couple of years now. But Vasilevsky's just, he's just displayed this type of charisma and confidence that it honestly doesn't matter what stage of the series it is if tampa bay needs a win he's gonna give them a win he'll give up maybe a goal two at the max and that's all you'll get and tampa's gonna win that game because vasilevsky just finds a way to shut out the world he's he's developed that type of clutch gene and he's executed so often in the playoffs where you don't think well he can't possibly shut out the other team on elimination night again and then he does and then he does it again and again and again and next thing you know tampa's been in the finals three straight times so yeah un until further notice i think vasilevsky's got the track record he still has the pedigree he'll probably have the better season i will say though a lot of uh, i will say both of these guys are going to get their fair share of chances to win games vasilevsky played as you mentioned brett 63 games shashurkin uh, appeared in 53, started 52 of those yeah, last fair. year. Uh, both of those guys heading into this year, Vasilevsky's going to have Brian Elliott as his backup once again. 
and uh, Igor Shashurkin is going to have Yaroslav Halak backing him up. Both of those guys are in their late 30s. Uh, both of those guys are not what they once were. So that's still going to put a lot of pressure on both Shashurkin and Vasilevsky to not only perform well, but perform well very, very often. I can see both of these goalies getting 60-plus games played this year easily. Yeah, that's totally fair. Maybe they do end up doing that. Although I guess that's like another discussion discussion topic that we should have at some point. Is that like, is that a good thing for the long run? Because you look at like someone well, like... Well, I mean, you look at Price and Holtby and yeah. obviously the answer to that is no. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I was thinking like the same thing is happening with Connor Hellebuck now. Um, yeah, for, no, so. yeah. I, I definitely think uh, that... Yeah. Um, that that uh, workload is catching up with Hellebuck slowly but surely, but yeah. But like I think the if thing Winnipeg doesn't want you. Yeah. The thing that the thing with a, that's impressive about Vasilevsky is is that he's been playing the majority of these games. Uh, like he hasn't had like a decent like Tampa hasn't had a decent backup in like the last five years, um, and Vasilevsky is still pretty good, <laughs> and not just pretty good. He's like amazing. So it's like. He's one of those, like, one-of-a-kind type players who, yeah, he's phenomenal in the playoffs, of course, too. But, you know, he's also, like, really good in the regular season in a league where that's embracing more of this tandem type of hockey um, or where a lot of teams are doing the, like, 1A, 1B type situation. And, um, yeah, and Vasilevsky is kind of proving that, okay, like, I'm... I, I don't need another guy. <laughs> I can I can do this all by my own self. Um, so so that's that's even more impressive when you think of it that way. Um, I don't know how often it, or if this is more of an indictment of like how good his team is in front of him. But yeah. Andre Vasilevsky only only has twenty four overtime shootout losses. He has twenty eight shutouts career. Wow. He has more shutouts than OT shootout losses career. Yeah, like I feel that's kind of insane. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there there is, like, a sense of, like, this past year, for instance, like, Shashirkin had better numbers, and the Rangers are, were a worse team than the Lightning were. Um, so so there's, like, that, and we could end up being dumb people. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, Shashirkin is be- has a better season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I guess there does come a point when it's like, okay, well, like, if you put Vasilevsky on the the Coyotes, I still think that, like, Vasilevsky would be pretty good. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you look at his past five years, yeah. the worst win total that he's posted is 31. Right. Which he got in 42 games in 2020-21. Yeah. <laughs> he won 31 of his 42 appearances. Like, that's nuts. Yeah. Right, right. So, it, yeah, it's, it's still impressive. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Um, and I, I guess there is something to be said. Like, I know that Gerard Gallant, um, in the past, like, he has coached uh, Marc-Andre Fleury those Vegas years. Um, and then um, when he was in Florida, they were also um, – didn't he also have another good goaltender? But, like, he, he tends to bring out goaltend- – oh, Luongo um, in Florida. Mm-hmm. Like, he tends to bring out, like – the best out of all his goaltenders, um, kind of like bit what Barry Trotz does. Um, but um, so, so there is something to be said about that. Um, but I don't know if it's like, you know, at the same time, Vasilevsky's another like 
just on another level. So, so it, it, yeah. it is, it, it, you can't really go wrong with either one, I feel like. Um, okay. Um, it also goes back to that classic argument of like, because Hashik um, played on all those, like, like the Sabres weren't as good as, mm-hmm. say, like Patrick Waugh's Colorado Avalanche team. Yep. Or even like the Devils with Martin Brodeur. Uh, but like Hashik does belong in that conversation with the, the other two um, simply because he was that good. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, like in terms of that, like conversation of who's going to have the better season, I feel like in this conversation, maybe we've kind of determined that we have at times different definitions of, of who is going to have the better season. Are we talking about numbers? Right. Does it depend on the line that they're on? Does it depend on how many games they play, the quality of opponents, et cetera, et right. cetera? I guess it. I, who has the better season is more than just points and wins. True, true. I, I guess, and it's also like, you know, if you, there is a, the other part of, like, the fact that, like, some of, like, the teams that we were talking about, it's like, okay, I expect... Like, you know, or Kale McCarr's on a better team than yeah. Ro- Roman Yossi is, for instance. Um, but does that necessarily mean that, like, Roman Yossi is better than Kale McCarr is? Just because uh, Roman Yossi has, like, he doesn't have the luxury of Nathan McKinnon on his team? It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's tough to really say. But, like, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to have a better season at the same time. So, yeah, you have to keep in mind of, like, the teammate issue as well. Yeah. I guess beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Right, 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 right. Um, okay. Um, that about does it here with us at Lace em Up. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace em Up. Um, you can also subscribe to us at Lace Them Up um, on Spotify, iTunes, um, Pocket Cast, wherever else you get your your podcast. Uh, That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll chat again in episode 333 of the Lace Them Up podcast.